We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Andrew Gilmore, who is the best coach that Notre Dame will go up against in 2024? I think it's Jeff Brom. I mean, you're going against Mike Elko, Thomas Hammock, Ryan Walters, Chuck Martin, Jeff Brom, Troy Taylor, Brent Key, Brian Newberry, Mike Norvell, Tony Elliott, Jeff Munkin, and Lincoln Riley. And the guys in the conversation for me are Elko, Brom, Norvell, mm-hmm. Munkin, and Riley. Because I think Jeff Munkin's a very good football coach. It's just yes. Army's a yeah. tough place to win. Those are my five. Uh, yeah. I don't know that I can go – as much as I love Mike Elko, I can't go with the guy that's been a head coach for two years as no. the best coach they're going to go against. And he wasn't even as good as, as Mike Norvell was in that league the last two years from a result standpoint. Um, to me, if I could pick – I put it like this. If I could pick any coach that I – that I'm least want to go against in a big game, it'd be Jeff Brom. That that would be my, my if there's even remotely equal talent, equal setting, he'd be the guy I'd most be concerned about. I'd probably go Mike Norvell, but I think it's an interesting conversation. I I mean Norvell obviously did a great job at Memphis. He's done a really good job and is especially the last two years at Florida State. He's building that program into something that I think is pretty pretty good and pretty sustainable. So I'd probably go Mike Norvell, but I do think there's a couple routes that you can go on that one. You you can't call his year a fluke either, Ryan, because no. he was you they were building to this. Yep. And you had some competitive games in 2021. They go 10 and 3 last year. They were building to this. So no. I I would go with Brom. I'm not going to argue with you about Norvell. I, I wouldn't. And, and I honestly wouldn't argue with you if you wanted to say Lincoln Riley. I mean, Lincoln Riley's results. Don't lie. I mean, they're very impressive. I personally would not go with him. I think he's an overrated coach. I think he's a great offensive mind. Yep. But I think he he walked into a great situation at Oklahoma. And it was yep. one of those don't F it up situations. And in his last year, they started to show a lot of warts his last years. They got further away from the Stoops there. And then he leaves for USC. And some of those warts are still there. So, And I think the other thing, too, is what makes a good head coach? Do you make good hires? And I don't know that there's two guys on this list to me that have shown a better track record of making strong hires than Jeff Brom and Mike Norvell either. I think that's the other part of it too, right? Yeah. Mike Norvell's put together a very good coaching staff at Florida State. He really, and that's that's a big part of being a really good head football coach. Really big part. Absolutely. Well, that's that's good why Mark that's why Marcus Freeman has me so excited because he's right. shown that he put together some pretty good yes. stats. It appears so, yeah. and he's not afraid to move on from a mistake. That's the other part yes. of it too. 
We had John A. Wands. How much pressure is on Gino Gadouli to prove he can have a positive impact on Riley Leonard, given the shift in college football as transfer quarterbacks are going to be a regular thing? I think there's a lot of pressure on him. I mean, I mean yep. look, you, you you got Sam Hartman. Things didn't go well. You can you can explain it. Okay, listen. He was a system quarterback. Didn't really fit our system. Some things happened. We you know we had a you know we we didn't have the receiving core we thought we could put around him. It just it didn't work out. You go then get Riley Leonard, who was your like last year. For being honest, Sam Hartman, Ryan, you and I had a lot of conversations where I would relay to you what I was hearing from my sources at Notre Dame. Sam Hartman was not the number one quarterback in the board early on. They didn't get the guys that they wanted. A couple of them didn't jump into the portal that they wanted. And and there was a couple other guys early on that they liked, and it just you know just. They ended up going with Sam. There was no debate on who their top quarterback was in this portal class. No debate. It was Riley Leonard, and that was literally it. So if you don't make it work again in year two, there's going to start to be some legitimate questions about your ability to develop quarterbacks. Because, again, portal's part of it. Now, the thing that has could save him is that he has done a good job with the high school kids. And developing them, I mean, you you got to give Gino Coach Gadouli credit for the job he did with Steve Angeli last year. Let's see what yes. he can do with Kenny Minchie this year and CJ Carr. But yeah, I think it's a big year for him, Ryan. I, I do because I you you've got a dude now. You've got an offense because last year you get well, you know, it's not his fault. He didn't have the coordinator. Blah 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 blah. Whatever. You can't. No. What's your excuse this year? You got Mike Denbrock. You got one of the best coordinators in the game. So you know. Yeah, it, it's and it's someone who you know. So, and, and honestly, Ryan, I think the answer we're going to get a good answer from. We're going to feel good about Gino Gadulli. I think at the end of this year, based on the way that Riley Leonard's yeah. going to play, because I think he's also more of a style of a player that Gino Gadulli has had success. Look, Gino Gadulli really only developed one quarterback in his tenure at Cincinnati. That's not a that's not a knock on him. It just that's his career path. He was there for basically the entire time of Desmond Ritter was there, so he gets a ton of credit for developing Desmond Ritter. But he only had right. one year without Desmond, and then he moved on to Notre Dame. So, and Desmond Ritter's a much more similar quarterback to Riley Leonard than Sam Hartman was. And I think Riley Leonard's a much more talented player than what Desmond Ritter was. So I fully expect him him to, to get results this year from his starter yep. and his backup. So I, I think we're going to feel good about where, where they are at quarterbacks coach at the end of the year. But going in, I think there's a ton of pressure on him to make sure the quarterback yep. position – holds up its end of the bargain this year. Well, I think he has a great opportunity in front of him because I think that the one thing that made it emphasize enough was Sam Hartman was a six-year player, right? Where it's like, at some point, a guy just might be what he is, right? They might just kind of be set in their ways. Riley Leonard's a little bit more of a, a, a ability to be, I think, a little bit more flexible with his development because he's only really been a starter for one year on the college level. I mean, we could count last year, but it was a very abbreviated season. Yeah, right? like he has not played. Right. He has, he's not played a ton of football. He really hasn't. I mean, he still needs, he still has a lot of room to grow. So I think Gino has an opportunity to be, have a little bit of a clearer canvas with the Riley Leonard. And then also this is a big year just for the future of the program as well. You're going to have Richard freshman, Kenny Minchie, you're going to have true freshman, CJ Carr. You're going to have Richard sophomore, Steve Angeli. This is where, like, the bulk of your technical prowess needs to be developed now. You mm -hmm. need to get those building blocks to be able to build off of. So he has a great opportunity in front of him. And I do think he's going to do a good job because I've heard nothing but very good remarks about him as, sure. a, as a technical standpoint perspective. And he needs to prove it, obviously, but yeah. And Ryan's referring to, just so people understand, because you and I have had this conversation, you're referring to things you heard about him even before he came to Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. So we're not talking about, well, the Notre Dame sources we have think highly of Gino Gadulli. We're talking about outside of the, the programs he's been in talking to you yeah. about the job they feel he did developing Desmond Ritter, right? 100%. Am I correct? And yep. yes. So, yes. Because if Notre Dame people are like, oh, we really like Gino. Oh, okay. I'm sure you do. That's why you hired him. That's not the same kind of thing as like, hey, I've been around that program as an outsider. And boy, I tell you what, that guy did a really nice job developing. So like I said, I think the answer is going to be a positive at the end of the year. But he's got a lot to prove. There's no doubt. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Michael S. with a super chat. Thank you so much, Michael. Is there any chance Al Golden could be a serious candidate for the San Francisco defensive coordinator position? Is there a chance? Sure. Uh, do I think it's going to happen? No. I think Alan Golden's a pretty honorable guy. And I don't think – I'll put it like this. The extension that he signed was mm-hmm. there to be signed for a while. Right. And I don't think he signed it until he was ready to say, I'm definitely staying. Yeah. And I'd be surprised if he signed that. Because that's what Kirby Moore did at Missouri. He had that sitting on his desk for a few weeks because – there were some, you know, Notre Dame was talking to him. And then when Mike Denbrock made the decision to circle back to Notre Dame, which I think I'm going to put the reason for that on the board uh, tonight is kind of funny. But uh, then obviously Kirby Moore didn't get that Notre Dame opportunity. And then, of course, a couple of days later, signs his extension. But I know for a fact that he was sitting on that extension until the stuff with Notre Dame went on because as a person with some level of integrity – you don't sign an extension knowing you're going to leave. Mike Denbrock did not sign his extension knowing he was going to leave. Mike Denbrock right. signed his extension with full intention of staying. Then things changed with his circumstance, not because of him. And then he said, okay, if you want to change my circumstance, then what we agreed to in the contract is no longer there. I'm out. Right. And so um, I highly doubt that, that Al Golden would do that. But maybe it's a situation where, you know, when he signed it, he didn't know the San Fran job was going to come open. I just I, that would shock me. And if you think about where he's coaching his whole career, where, where did he coach in the NFL? It was with what the Raiders is the furthest west. He, but Cincinnati, yeah. Detroit. I mean, yeah. Am I was he with the Raiders for a year? Am I, I am I remembering that wrong? He, he may have been. I don't remember it though. I don't. Really no, he that. wasn't. He was with the Lions, and so his entire coaching career has been at Red Bank Catholic in high school in New Jersey. Virginia, mm-hmm. Boston College, Penn State, Virginia, Temple, Miami, Detroit, Cincinnati, and Notre Dame, the furthest west he's ever coached. And his first year of coaching was in 1993. So in 30 years, 30 plus years, the furthest west he's ever coached is Notre Dame. I just, I mean, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I just think yeah. I don't see it. But I don't want to say no because yeah. in this business, Ryan, you don't ever say no chance. Right. Cause you never I, know. I I also would be like, again, I don't, I don't know what his interests are in that job, even if it was like, if he was targeted for it, but I'd be hesitant with that San Francisco job just in general right now, because the previous defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes kind of got scapegoated out of his job, to be honest. Like it was kind of like one of those, we failed again, Steve, you're out of here. And it was just kind of like, that was odd. I don't know about that one dog. Like, I don't odd. know. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I haven't, I won't comment on it, Ryan, because I just don't follow the NFL enough to know how they were in the regular season. But I was, that surprised me. I was like, wow, okay. Your defense is kind of what kept you in that game. And yeah, Yeah, I don't know. It was necessarily against Kansas. Yeah. You just one of of the best quarterbacks to to ever do it just happened to do what he does. So yeah, it's interesting. Rob Osgood was Rob. Next year's schedule has Notre Dame playing two games in the New York City area. Would you rather have seen an Army game played in Texas, Florida, or another area? Not this year, because this year it's the 100-year anniversary of the game where the Horsemen, where they played in New York. 
They played at the Polo Grounds. I think it was 1924, and that was when Grantland Rice wrote the, you know, thing about the four horsemen. So I get it. Notre Dame is a, is a school about tradition, and so it makes a ton of sense for me to do it in New York this year. I, I get it. And here's the other thing too: is I don't know that out. I think from what I've been told, Chicago and New York are the two biggest alumni locations and then obviously subway alum locations in, in America for Notre Dame. So you get a chance to kind of Makes double sense. dip in front of a, a fan base that's important to you and an alumni base that's very important to you. Uh, I completely understand that. Completely understand that. Cause they, and, and the thing is they, they already played army in Texas. They did that last time they played army. It was in San Antonio where there's a huge army base. You've already, you've already given that, that kind of shout out. So I think because of the, the, uh, the aspect of this being the hundred year anniversary of Grantland Rice's, creation of the four horsemen i think it makes a ton of sense because now you're going to hear people talk about that how many young people really know what that was about you're going to hear that talked about a lot leading into that game right and yeah uh, it's going to be pretty cool in my view now am i feel fired up about going to new york no but it's not about me it's about what's best for the I, program i hate new york i hate this <laughs> This, I will, I, I will, like I will literally I hate the city of New York, though. Ryan, oh I will drive in for the game and leave. Like I, I'm working with somebody. Yep. I'm going to try to get in on Friday into, into the area, and I'm going to try to uh, – a couple people have offered a chance to, to take me to West Point and give me a tour of West Point, which is – I'm hoping that we can make that happen because that is going to be awesome. But, yeah, we'll be in the city from the time it takes us to enter, to drive to the stadium, and then to leave and get out of it. That will be the extent of my time in New York. I do like upstate New York, though. Upstate in like wine country and then Cooperstown, yeah. all that good stuff. Like that, that's cool. Yeah. But yeah, New York. Ryan, I've place. never been to Cooperstown. Can you believe that? It's it's way honestly. I I mean, obviously, I'm a football number one guy, but Cooper. I actually yeah. like the MLB, uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame more than the NFL yeah. Hall of Fame. How far away is it from the city? Oh, it's it's a couple. Of, it's a few hours. Like if I drove, like if I was driving from Indiana to. Yeah. New York, would I kind of be somewhat close to it? I'm not 100 percent sure even. Okay. Uh, that's a good question, but yeah, it's it's not back. close to the city. That's it's upstate New York. It's really cool because Cooperstown's like on a lake, and it's just like super small town feel, which is mm-hmm. obviously very different from the city. So yeah, I would really love nice. I would love to go. I would love to go to Cooperstown someday. That would be amazing. We've been there like I've been there like two or three times with Caitlin. It's really cool. I like it a lot. That's awesome. Andy Milton fan, what is the most refreshing thing about Marcus Freeman? You talked He's about it, man. It's guy. the authenticity. Yeah it's, yeah, it's it doesn't seem fake, Nathan. Even people that preach similar things to Marcus Freeman, sometimes you just kind of like leave and you're just like, I don't know if you 100% meant everything he just said. And Marcus Freeman, if, if it's an act, it's an act. But he he definitely comes across as a person that loves what he preaches and truly believes in yeah. him. So the authenticity, I would say. We had Andrew Gilmore with another one. Thank you so much, sir. Brian, who is your favorite non-Notre Dame head coach of all time? I know he was a rival, but I like Pete Carroll. He had some great teams. Seemed like a good guy. I think looks can be deceiving. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, I'd probably say Steve Spurrier. I just, because he was just, I mean, he, he was revolutionary. I mean, he really was, and he was a phenomenal coach. What's funny is, Ryan, my, my two favorite non-Notre Dame coaches our two rivals. It's Steve Spurrier and Bobby Bowden. Those are my two favorite non-Notre Dame coaches. I just, I just thought like, like I know that there's recruiting, but that's just, that was college football, man. I've heard some things about Bobby Bowden as a guy that just, just like you do, man, I would like to play for that guy. You know, like I would have liked to play for him, you know, because he's one of those guys that, you know, when you play for him and you invest in him and you've always got him, he'll, he'll be there for you whenever, whenever, whatever, all that. I've heard all that about him. And and I just respected him. You know, stayed for a long time. I mean, he was at two programs his entire. I mean, basically his entire career. He was at West Virginia for a while, yeah. and then Florida State, and then that was just it. So I had a great deal of respect for Bobby Bowden. Still ticked about 1993, but if you're going to lose it the way they did, I'd rather lose it to a guy like that. Spurrier for different reasons. He was a phenomenal coach, number one. But as I said before, he was just revolutionary. Just the the things he did in the SEC and and in college football, just you change the game. And as a, someone coming up as a, an aspiring coach, I, I love studying his stuff. I love studying how, I mean, he had such a unique way of teaching. I mean, all his quarterbacks had to, had to drop back, hold the ball, do it all the exact same way. He was the antithesis of what I believe in, which is 
you just kind of let guys do what they do. That was not Steve Spurrier, man. You are going to hold the ball here this way. You're going to drop <laughs> back this way, and that's how it's going to be. It worked for him. You know, I mean, he, he turned some pretty mediocre quarterbacks into really good quarterbacks. You know what I mean? And and uh, when you can win, when you can lead a, an offense that allows Danny Warfel to win a Heisman, you're a phenomenal football Amen. coach. One of the best you're we've ever seen, Danny Warfel. Same baby. So. Yeah, those are those are probably my two, Ryan. Do you have any? Do you have like a um, Notre Dame guy? I, I, NFL wise, I was a huge Dick Vermeil fan because I was a Rams fan growing up. So he obviously took a, uh, the Rams to the Super Bowl. And I, I mean, obviously, I've grown outside of Philly, and obviously, he spent some time in Philadelphia, and I've never heard anything but just Dick Vermeil was very emotional, but he loved his players and he challenged yes. his players, but he was just a genuinely just good person, right? So Dick Vermeil is one. Andy Reid always kind of makes me laugh. Uh, he's a great innovative offensive mind, obviously, but he's also just like a joking grandpa that likes to eat cheeseburgers, which is pretty yeah. hilarious. I, I think he's a pretty funny yeah. dude. And then I've always he, had a soft spot for Kyle Whittingham at Utah because I yeah. just think he does everything right. He, he's a guy you respect. Yeah, there's no doubt. A lot of respect for him. Uh, if we're talking NFL, Mike Shanahan, because he gave me my first Broncos Super Bowl yeah. uh, and was a great offensive coach. Uh for his entire career. Uh, Ryan, it's funny. The first time I saw Andy Reid in a commercial, Pat Mahomes like, well, this is going to be lame. You know, just because you're just like, you just, and he's hilarious. And I don't he's know what, funny, he, but like the, the yeah. one where he's drawn the mustache on the player and Pat Mahomes comes up, coach, it happened again. And he chucks the, 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 just not only chucks the, 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 the Sharpie. I'm gonna to get to the bottom of this. You're just like seriously. Did you did you see did you see did you see the playoff game where his um where his mustache was iced over? Did you see that one? Uh-uh. Oh yes, 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 yes. Early in the off in postseason. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it was somebody came up to him. I think it was Creed Humphrey came up to him apparently and was like, Coach, you, you got something right here, and like pointed at his mustache. He's like, I don't give a hell. We're we're playing a football game right now. <laughs> just like starts like, <laughs> like what? Also, the greatest scene I've ever seen is you see it all the time because it's hilarious. But he was in a punt, um, kick, punt, and pass competition when he was a kid, and he think he was like twelve, and he was like two feet taller than everybody else there, and it is hilarious, <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, that's good stuff. Good stuff. Here's a here's an interesting one from uh, Christopher Hardy. Christopher said, "What is the difference between a guard or tackle pulling versus a guard or tackle wrap?" Well, I would say this, Christopher, uh, for me, in the way that I've always taught it and the way I understand it is is a pull is more of a broad term for an action. A wrap is yep. a specific type of pull or, yep. or play. A wrap so, is technically uh, a pull. So. Yeah, exactly. A pull can be a quick kick out. It can be a wrap. It can be a getting on the perimeter. It's it's a this You're pulling. It can be types of uh, different types of things. Uh, a trap is a pull. Right, so it's basically basically arguing um, a genre versus a specific aspect of that genre. Basically, yep. is how it goes. Yep. So I've I've only known it that way, Ryan. I don't know if you've ever heard it to where somebody tried to no. differentiate between the two, but that's how I've always known. No, a, a pull is just a term of a, a offensive guard or offensive tackle opens up and goes laterally down the line of scrimmage and will either kick out or pull into space or wrap to what you're asking christopher is when they pull up through the hole and they wrap that way so Mm -hmm. yep we had salty with the question with scary terry which is hilarious that's what sean taylor uh, sean terry calls himself scary terry and elijah burris committed and with the notre dame's wide receiver still recruiting as a group how well do they fit with mike denbrock and mike brown offense as seen in cincinnati pretty well i mean you're i don't think i mean tyler scott was a more explosive vertical player than Sean Terry, but there's a lot of things that he did jet sweeps, quick game, things like that. Body type coming out of high school was very similar. Um, you're, 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 you're going to say, okay, that system, these him and Elijah Burris can fit into that type of system. Yes. Uh, much more so than like how they use the two receivers they had, at, or at least how they use like Brian Thomas. Like neither one of those guys is going to fit into that. But you look at some of the things they do with Malik Neighbors and and some of the things they do with like um, uh, the Lacey kid and some of the other receivers, sure, they can fit into some of those things. They didn't really have a Sean Terry type at LSU the last two years. Uh, you know, so 
I, I don't know that LSU, but to your question about Cincinnati, they fit in very well. They want route runners. What, what, what could all those kids at Cincinnati do, Ryan? They could run routes, at least the kids that, that yeah. Mike Brown had for a period of time. I think, you know, I know Trey Tucker was only there for what, like a year or two, but the kids that he developed. I, I think for he's a the one that probably. I think Trey Tucker is kind of the one that he reminds me most of, though. I mean, they're a little bit of a diminutive slot that's a space player that can return kicks and punts. I mean, Trey Tucker was a little straight, more straight line fast than what mm-hmm. Sean Terry is, but like stylistically, I think he reminds me a lot of him, honestly. So, but they fit in very well to the things that they did. But it's also yep. too Ryan about what we get back to earlier. It's not so much about them trying to replicate what they did at Cincinnati. It's about them looking at specific skills that they don't do and don't have on the roster and saying, you know. And again, it's an argument that I'm sympathetic to, even though I don't agree. We have guys like Dalen McCutcheon on the roster. We don't have guys like Sean Terry on the roster. Okay, that's fair. I, I agree to disagree, but I under I, I can at least understand it, even if I don't agree with it. Does that make sense? Right? I mean, you know. So, um, yeah, they fit well with what they do. And to your point, Ryan, or maybe this isn't the point you're making, but to me. I'm going to state my opinion about what I think about what I do and don't like about receiver recruiting, but I'm not going to get all up in arms about it because I have a level of trust in Mike Denbrock because he's earned it. And, and uh, to a degree about Mike Brown, because of what I saw at Cincinnati, even what I saw at Wisconsin this year. And from the things I've heard about him from people that I trust and respect, I'm going to kind of say, Hey, listen, if they're, if they're making this decision, I'm going to voice my honest opinion about it do or don't like, but I'm also sure. going to kind of have a level of, okay, let's see how it plays out where if the same players were committed, maybe with another coach, I might've maybe been a little bit more up in arms about it. Cause I just don't trust that coach's evaluation or to the point you made earlier, which is a great point, Ryan. I don't trust that that coach is going to be able to get the most out of that kid. Right. Right. Cause, cause when we talked about so like Charles Jagasaw, I was, I would not have been fired up about as fired up about Notre Dame getting Charles Jagasaw if Jeff Quinn was still the O-line coach, as I was with Harry Heastan being the O-line coach. Sure. Because I had a much greater confidence that Harry Heastan was going to be able to get the most out of him. And then I still, even though I don't – Joe Rudolph's not Harry Heastan, I, I have more trust that he's going to get more out of him than, than – that Joe Rudolph is going to get more out of him than Jeff Quinn was. Because I've seen him take big, physical type of players and have success with them in Wisconsin. So yeah. – you just you have to yeah like Mike. There's been guys at corner. I, I did not love the Carson Hops commitment a year ago, right? And I and I said so. I was, but I also said, but I trust Mike Mickens. So let's see how it plays out. And lo and behold, ended up being a pretty good pickup when it's all said yep. and done. And that's kind of how I'm looking at some of these receiver things too, Ryan. Is I'm just like, look, I'm expressing my opinion. I don't I don't like this. I do like this. But let's see how it plays out because these guys have these guys have earned that trust in my view. Yeah, I, I, I coached my uh, coach Denver. I trust Mike Denbrock to be able to evaluate well. I'm a wait and see, obviously, on Mike Brown because he's never done it at quite this level. But I, I hope for the best. I know he can coach, so that's a it's a good start. It's a good start. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joseph Barrett, Brian, what are your opinions on USC's defensive staff hires? Also, do you think it's unfair that Alex Grinch bears all the blame? Does not seem responsible to me. Can I say this, Brian, before you go? Go for it. Alex Grinch is awful. What what, what am I not blaming him for? He's a terrible defensive coordinator. He literally cashed in an entire career off of being having one good defense for Washington State. Was awful at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma, excuse me, was bad again at USC. Look, man, wasn't great at Ohio State either. Right. 
he was just no, not yeah. So I I do give him a lot of blame. Is Lincoln Riley to blame in some capacity? Of, of course, he yes. Kept bringing him back, right? Yes. But ultimately, and was Alex Grinch a good defensive coordinator? No, he wasn't. He wasn't a good defensive coordinator. I think there are things that Lincoln Riley does that makes it very hard for any defensive coordinator to thrive. That's what I believe. Do I think if they'd have had a better head coach, Alex Grinch would have all of a sudden been a Broyles Award nominee? No. But yes, I do think I would never hire Alex Grinch. Do I think it was worse because of Lincoln Riley? Yes, I do. But he also worked at different places in you know Ohio State and had similar results. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it works out. Who did he get hired by this offseason? Didn't he get hired at uh, was it Wisconsin? Yeah, Wisconsin, Wisconsin hired Alex Grinch. Sa- to do safety's what? coach. Yeah, I think I think safety's coach. Uh, I don't know if he's co-coordinator or not. Let, let me look. I think it is Ryan. Yeah, Wisconsin, co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach. Oh, yeah. what are you doing, brother? Oh, man. Yeah. Not great. Yeah. Not great. So we'll see how that we'll see how that works out. But, uh, um, yeah. We'll, we'll, I guess we'll that's due see. to his pre- – I'm assuming that they have relationship due to their Ohio, Ohio State ties, I would assume, between Fickle and Grinch. Is yeah, that, well, they weren't there at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah, they definitely weren't there at the same time. But, I mean – I, I it's a good, good question. I do know that in yeah. certain circles, defensive coaches, Alex Grinch is known as a as a as a smart football guy. But as you know, Ryan, not every smart football guy is a good coordinator. Yeah. And 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 so I would imagine this one is not as the primary play caller, I would assume. Who, I could who be would wrong have thought, about that. Who would have thought that a defensive coordinator that just tries to create chaos and it tries to make it organized is not actually a good defensive coordinator. Yeah. Who would have thought? Who would have yeah. thought about that? Good point. We shall see how that plays out. Mike Tressel's their D coordinator. And uh, oh, so we'll Tressel, huh? Plays nice. out. Yeah. As far as USC staff hires, look, uh, two coaches that I think are very overrated have had very good off seasons, in my opinion. I think yeah. James Franklin had a very good off season with some of his hires. And I think Lincoln Riley made multiple strong hires. Like you, you mentioned DeAnton Lynn, Ryan, I got to yeah. hold off on putting him in my top five until I see him do it for multiple years. But I loved what they did at, at, at UCLA this past season. And if you look at the numbers and, and they did that with a not very good offense yes. this year, either Ryan, could you imagine what they would have done if UCLA had a vintage, you know, defense, like, look guys, 2022, they gave up 29 points a game. In 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 one year, first year, they dropped to 18.4 this past season, Ryan. In 2022, they gave up 403.8 yards per game, 5.6 yards per play. In one year, they dropped down to 301.5 and 4.6. Ryan, that is a whole yard drop and a over 100 yards taken off in the same league with the yep. same players in a worse offense, that is a phenomenal job. Phenomenal yep. job. Now, let's see him do it multiple years with a coach who I don't trust as much as I do Chip Kelly. That's all fine. But he did it was they got Eric Henderson, who's the was he the D-line coach of the Rams, I believe, yes. made him co-coordinator. They got yep. Doug Belk, who was a guy that interviewed who was a finalist for the Notre Dame D coordinator job in 2020. I like Doug Belk, man. Hired. I like you know, Doug and, Belk. And, and, yeah. Right. Well, he, he was part of that whole you know. Holderson got fired, so the whole staff got fired, and so he's going. He's going to be their DBs coach. Those are three. I don't know Henderson personally, but I've I've read some good things, heard some good things. Ryan, I know. I think you told. Were you one that told me that he he had a good reputation? Did I talk to you about that? No. Talk to a couple guys about it. That's uh, all I can on paper. And reputation is a good hire, but the Belk and the DeAnton Lynn hires are both very strong hires. So I look. I don't like the guy. Think he's an overrated coach, but I think the the hires he made this offseason, Ryan, were strong, very strong. I agree. I agree. And I, I would also say that I think that USC has some talent to work with on defense. They just have not been well coached. They've not been yeah. well coordinated. You need to be able to get guys like Anthony Lucas and those types to play at a higher level and to make an impact. And they certainly have upgraded the defensive staff. So we'll see if it works or not. But I, yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. We had a, another question from Xavier Kilowatts says, why does Notre Dame have so many more 2025 recruits than any other team? How do you feel about the staff's evaluation prowess to taking guys 
earlier than other teams. I feel like we talked about the earlier yeah. aspect of why Notre Dame goes a little earlier. I mean, Xavier, like this has kind of been a trend under Notre Dame. I mean, if you were following 2024 recruiting, Notre Dame was done by the season. Like they did not sign another player, or get another commit during the season this past year. It's just what they do, man. And it's what they do. They're trying to get early evaluations. They're trying to get guys locked in. They're trying to shut down the recruiting process and they're trying to move forward in a very cohesive manner. So that's what Notre Dame's going to operate with. And I mean, so far, a lot of the evaluations I've really liked the last two years. I mean, I really have. There's been a lot of really good ones. Are there? Is it ever going to be perfect? No, it never is in the evaluation world. But for the most part, I've agreed with a lot of the evaluations for Notre Dame the last couple of years. I also think overall, Ryan, getting ahead of, I mean, if you're going to try to wait until, wait, the carry the process out. I mean, who's the, the number of guys that I would have said, hold off on that guy is pretty short. I'm not holding off on Deuce Knight. I'm not holding off on Justin Thurman. I'm not holding off on Elijah Burris. I'm not holding off on James Flanagan, Will Black, Owen Strebig, um, you know, Davion Dixon, Chris Burgess. I mean, there's a couple guys, you know, I, I personally, Josiah Kia, but like, but here's the thing. If you like the guy, why wait? They like them. They, Joseph Reef, Ryan, you and I have a difference of opinion. Neither of us thinks he's a stud. But there's a, the reason that they took him is because he showed up at their camp and did great. And they loved the frame. I mean, so it's not like they reached for him in their evaluation. He came to camp, earned that scholarship, and, and they loved the tools and all. I mean, so we can disagree maybe with their evaluation on it. But they think the kid can play. They, they. I mean, I keep hearing we think he's going to be like Riley Mills. We think he's going to be like Riley Mills. Okay, well, we'll find out if you're right or wrong. But like, he's not some guy that they. Well, you know, we'll see if he can maybe help us someday. Like they think he's going to be very. They could be very good. I don't think either of us see him being like a, a dynamic difference maker player and all that type of stuff. But they, they do. I, I'm not super high on Josiah Kia. They are. I mean, they, they like him a ton. So. I mean, are you going to wait for Ethan Long? Are you going to wait on Ivan Taylor? I mean, you're going to wait on Crete? No. So I, I think part of it is just that, that it's a strong evaluation ability. They have a lot of faith in their ability to evaluate. When they like a kid, they're going to take that kid. I think the other thing, too, is is they by doing it this way, you find out pretty early on who really likes you and who doesn't. That's the other sure. part. Because you can play these games, and then you think these kids like you, and then all of a sudden, this is what happened to the previous staff all the time. Kid says, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. You always get into the late in the year. You miss on Asa Turner. You miss on Kyler Gordon. You miss on all these guys that you played the process out with. And because you didn't get other kids, you end up with nothing. You know, this staff is saying, hey, we're going to go get kids we like. And if we like kids even better, we're going to still recruit those kids. But we're not going to be left with nothing. And that's pretty much how they played it out. They're going to play it out. And that's, yeah. We had USMA87. After the recent RTCF show, anyone else even more fired up for this season? I, I am. I mean, just talking about it had me super fired. I mean, it really did. I just, it was a fun show, but uh, I think it's because we're getting closer to spring. I think that's what it comes down yeah. to. We're less than a month away from spring ball starting. So I think that's, that helps people get fired up too, in my opinion. I agree. Yeah. We had a super chat from Michael S. It seems odd that Cincinnati had more accomplished players than what Notre Dame had. How did that happen? I guess we're talking about wide receivers. Is is that the conversation we're having here? I would assume. I guess. I, mean, well, I, I would say this is that I think that wide receivers in recent years at Cincinnati, and we're talking about the Mike Brown era, right? Comparative to what the previous staff was, is that Mike Brown had gotten players, Alec Pierce, Tyler Scott, Trey Tucker, who had raw athletic skills but needed to be developed, and he is a good developer, obviously, and got the most out of Alec Pierce, got him drafted in the second round of the of the NFL draft, got the most out of Tyler Scott, got him drafted in the top four rounds of the NFL draft, Trey Tucker, same story, right? So I think they took a gamble on more raw traits, and they had a developer that was able to cash in on those traits. And ultimately, the previous staff and – you know, obviously, even before Chancey Stuckey, like I'm not just throwing shade at just Chancey Stuckey, but wide receivers have been in a position that has not been developed properly yeah. for several years for Notre Dame, and it needs to be better moving forward. And that's hope that you have in a guy like Mike Brown. Well, who's the last? Who's the last coach to kind of recruit and somewhat develop receivers that were consistently going in the NFL? It was Mike Dembrock. I mean, that, 
he he coached TJ Jones multiple years. He coached that he coached Equinemy St. Brown until his last year. He coached he recruited and coached Chase Claypool for a couple you know for two years. I mean, so you're bringing in guys that are successful at that because I think Ryan nailed it. It's you didn't have coaches that I mean, you think about what Mike Brown did with Alec Pierce and think what could he have done with four years of Kevin Austin? Right. You know, it's like that'd have been fun to watch. Uh, development is a big, big thing. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. And, and again, that's a receiver. I don't know that that would be true with a lot of other uh, receiver and quarterback. If we're going to be honest, you know, yeah. so yeah, it is frustrating. But hopefully we won't have to worry about that anymore. Ryan, I, I do want to address this because a lot of people keep, keep adding this question. To us. So I, I do want to address this one, Ryan. So if you, you go ahead and okay. PK asked, would Jerome Bettis Jr. come as a preferred walk-on? I mean, could he? Yes. But should he? No. And, and here's why. Because Jerome wants to play. Yes, I think he'd like to play at Notre Dame where his dad went to school. There's a lot of love there. But but Jerome, Jerome wants to play. And if Notre Dame doesn't value enough to offer you a scholarship, what are the odds that they're going to value enough to give you a chance to beat out those scholarship players? I, right. I, I don't I don't know that I would trust that. And and they can tell me all they want. Well, you know, hey, here's this, here's that. But look, I you know, the only way that I would even consider that is if it was a situation like maybe like, hey, look, we can only afford to take two receivers in this class. And, you know, could you maybe come walk on for a year and it would give you one in two years? But they're not there. That's not the reality of the situation. So when you've got teams like Texas A&M and Georgia Tech and teams like that recruiting you and wanting you, why would you go be a preferred walk on a Notre Dame unless you had just some dream where no matter what, Notre Dame was a place to be? And if that was true, Jerome would have committed Notre Dame the day he was offered and was and was told he could commit. So I think he need, he wants to go to a place where he feels values him and is going to give him an opportunity to develop. And I think right now he believes Notre Dame is that place. But if Notre Dame said, hey, we want you to walk on, I think they stopped being that place. And if I was him and I was his dad, I'd say, hey, listen, unless you just have a desire to go to Notre Dame, if you actually want to play football, your best bet's going to be to go somewhere that that truly values you enough to say, hey, you're a scholarship kid for us. So, yep. you know, would he? I, I doubt it. I, I doubt that he would do that, yeah. Ryan. I doubt it. Well, well. I mean, he has options, right? I mean, we're, we're kind right. of treating this kid like, and because I have my question about him just as much as anybody, right. but ultimately, it's not like he's sitting there with Notre Dame as his only offer, and then you know, Sanford, <laughs> like that's the only right. two schools that he has an opportunity to, yeah. right? Like he has Texas A and M, and I've been told that Texas A and M is is pushing for Jerome Bettis Jr. Yes. It's not just like a yes. here you go offer. It's like a yeah, we would love. To be I mean, some legitimately good programs: Missouri, Arkansas, Georgia Tech. There's some schools that are legitimately pushing for Jerome Bettis yep. Jr. So whether you agree with it or not, he does have options on the table. No, it's not Notre Dame or bus for him. Right. If he ends up in College Station, it's like you're playing in the SEC, right? Like it's right. not like you're going nowhere. Is he's got multiple SEC? Look, here's his offer list: a round of Power Fours: Arkansas, Boston College, Duke, Georgia Tech, Ole Miss, Missouri, NC State, Purdue, Texas A&M, UCF, and Notre Dame. That's a pretty good offer list. Why would I turn down a bunch of those schools because to go to Notre Dame, who doesn't think I'm good enough to warn a scholarship? And that's what well, his dad can afford it. So just because he can afford it doesn't mean that his kid should have to go on it. Just, you know what I mean? Like if my kid's good enough to be a scholarship player, then he should be a scholarship player. Luke Talich's situation was a little different because they were tight on numbers. And, and so it's, it was a different situation for him than than what it is for Jerome Bettis Jr. And and eventually Luke, I believe, is going to get a scholarship at Notre Dame. And there was like Maris Leofal and JD 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 Bertrand was going to come to Notre Dame as a walk-on. But it was a situation where they didn't have enough room for him when Georgia dropped him. And and yeah. so it was like, hey, if we can't get room, come here for a year and then we'll get you a scholarship. And it worked out where he ended up being on scholarship the entire time. But but those are unique circumstances, Ryan, that always involve, hey, in year two you'll get one. If you're you're going to tell me that Jerome's going to buy the argument that hey we don't have enough room for you to give you a scholarship right now be a preferred walk on, um, coach you got four receivers committed to you right now, you know what I mean? Like if you don't think I'm one of your top three or four in this class, then you know maybe I should go to Georgia Tech who thinks I'm their number one or their number two. So right. that's that's what I would do if I was him. Unless again, unless he just has some burning desire to no matter what play at Notre Dame and be cool. I would love that. I mean, I think that'd be great, Ryan, because then you could you could still use your scholarships other places, and you could still get your own best junior. Because the the big fear I have 
is that Jerome goes somewhere else and the DNA hits and the upside hits and all that stuff hits. And all of a sudden he's balling out Georgia tech or balling out Texas A&M. And then I got to watch Jerome Bettis junior highlights in a, in a non Notre Dame uniform. Like sure. honestly, and I'll say this for all the issues I have with, or the, the, the not issues, the concerns I have about taking Jerome, the minute they went to four, I was fine with it. I, I, I was because like you said, you're taking a chance in, in, on a kid that's got a big body, that's got some, it's got really good ball skills. You're hoping that the athleticism takes a jump when he gets to college. Oh, okay, yep. cool. I didn't like that when you were taking three. I'm okay. I'm I'm okay taking that with four because I, I I would I'm willing to take a chance on that DNA kicking kicking off. And and I'll say this too: Notre Dame does not look at him as a legacy take. I'm just telling you that right now. From everyone we've talked to, Ryan, yes, he's a legacy, but he's not a legacy take. They genuinely think he is a kid that's got a big ceiling that's going to tap into when he gets to college. I'm you just telling you guys right now, that's how they view Jerome Bettis Jr. We've been honest about our opinion that we don't agree with that, but I just want to make sure that people understand they don't view Jerome Bettis Jr. as a walk-on player. They view him as a scholarship caliber player. And I hope here's one, Ryan. I hope they're right. Oh, this is one where I flat out want a hundred percent want to be wrong, hundred percent. And I know you Agreed. do too. Yep. Without we'll get the last few, Ryan, as we kind of wrap this up. Here's a couple that I thought were were pretty good. I want to just answer this one really quick from Domerson Spurth. He says, "Gents, is there any chance or rumors for the opener against AM to move to Saturday from Saturday to Sunday or Monday?" On Labor Day weekend, no, there isn't. There's already games scheduled for those two days. I think Florida State and BC play on Monday, and I think the USC LSU game is on Sunday. And those games are those days are both one game days. So no, they won't be moving that game. Uh, here, here's a super chat down here. Actually, no, we um, we already answered that, that one from Michael yep. S. So yep. here's one, Ryan. I'm going to ask you, Mister 2.0 yep. says, how can you compare Bryce Young to Jerry Tillery? I mean, they're both long. Otherwise, not much of a comparison. I mean, Jerry was a pure interior player, right? Like, I mean, in a three-man front, he could do some stuff. They recruited obviously. him to play offensive tackle, Ryan. <laughs> right. He's a, he's a much more um, he's much more of a true interior player. Could Bryce Young eventually grow into an interior player? It's possible. I mean, he's got a big frame, but this kid is an edge that has a really good bend in his hips and his ankles, and he's a true. He's a true defensive end in yeah. Notre Dame. And then obviously we'll see where his body develops from there, but he's a big end in this system. Jerry Tillery is a three technique. He's an inside player. When you were talking earlier about him playing over the guard, you were talking about a, a nickel pass rushing situation, oh, yeah. not yeah. as a, just so people, not as a every down, you're talking about him being six, six, two sixty five, two seventy. that on third down on third nine, you move inside and, yeah. and, and let him go after guards. Like, That's what we're talking about. Like, like Gregory Rousseau that came out of Miami a couple years ago right. where they would just line him up on the uh, inside on obvious passing situations. Notre Dame yes. did that a little bit with Dalen Hayes and Adi Takumba Ogundiji in 28-2020. I mean, yep. you remember the big sack that Dalen had against Clemson in overtime? That was over a guard. It was lined up over a guard. He beat a guard. So, yeah, you, you'll see that stuff. Especially a guy as long as him because you can you can get into pass lanes. You get your hands up and get into pass lanes. So, yes, but, but every I agree with you. Every down guy, no. No, you're, you're not going to see that. Here, here's an interesting one from Nick Schmidt. Nick says, do you think Notre Dame will be higher ranked in points scored or points allowed? They were both they were seventh in both areas this year, Ryan, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, I, I, I don't know. how I, I'm kind of torn on how to look at this one, Ryan, because I, I do think they yeah. play. They play. They're going to play better defenses this year, in my opinion, than they did last year. Uh, top to bottom. I. I also think in certain, I think the offenses are, are going to be a little better too, top to bottom. I just think, I, I think this schedule is a little harder than some people are making it out to be. It's not a vintage, it's not a brutal, brutal schedule, but this schedule is going to be a little bit more challenging than people are making it out to be, in my opinion. I mean, look, I've put points out the other day, Ryan, Notre Dame, the, the, the record of Notre Dame's opponents on the 24 schedule was better in 2023 than the record of Notre Dame's 2023 opponents. And all year we kept hearing Notre Dame fans talk about how challenging the schedule was, and it was. But I think this, this – what I think is lacking is there's no elite preseason Ohio State on the roster. And I'll grant you that. There, there isn't that type of team. But I think the depth of this schedule is, is really quality. 
and that's what makes it challenging, in my opinion. And I just think the quality of the offenses and defenses is just going to be low. like USC this year, Ryan. Going to be a much yeah. better defense than they were last year. That's not saying a whole lot. They could still be a top fifty defense and still be way better than they were a year ago, right? And and so it's going to present a little bit more of a of a challenge, in my opinion. I I don't know that it's going to necessarily be like a gauntlet. So I don't know which side of the ball benefits more from that. I, I really don't. I, I it's it's going to be interesting. I I tend yeah. to think I tend to think that the that the defense is going to be better. Uh, if I had to guess, because I just don't see a lot of big time quarterbacks on the schedule. That that's really where it settles sure. for me. But I'm, I'm not sure that I feel sure. great about that answer, Ryan. I mean, I I could see both of them being close. To, I mean, they were seventh and seventh. I mean, as great as Notre yep. defense was last year, as much as people bitch about the offense this year, they both ranked seventh in scoring this year. <laughs> they were so. You know, it's yep. going to be interesting. What say you, Mister Roberts? Give me the offense. I'm trying to be a very. I feel like we have been able to depend more on defense in the recency, right? So I'm going to be a very positive Notre Dame fan and say, offense takes off this year, baby. Takes off. I love it. Let's do it. I love it. I love it. No one else is just just general there. Yeah. I get, but sometimes it gut feel you have to go with, man. I get it. Sure. I'm going to ask this one, Ryan, because I just I want to I want to read it. It's hilarious, and then I want to get your answer to it. This is from Salty Virginia Peanuts. What's the open under on RJ Hoban? A year that surpa- having a year that surpasses that of John the Baptist. So what? What, what say I you, mean, Ryan? I'm, I mean, I, I guess it's depending on how we're grading the season overall, Salty. I think that mm-hmm. RJ o- Oben over Oben on I can't even do it I just messed it up it was it was terrible good one salty uh RJ Oben I I think I think that RJ has higher upside as a a pure passer than Javante so I think that he could clear in that remark in that mark my biggest question as far as being able to cycle from Javante to RJ is will the run defense be similar Will it be less? Does he have higher upside there? Because that was one spot that he just wasn't used a ton of. Mm-hmm. As Duke was being a true run run stopper and edge setter, just wasn't really a role he was asked to do. So I'll say that he is more impactful in the passing game than Javante, but maybe lesser in the run game. So it becomes a little bit of a wash, but I think you have to I, – I, I hope it's not a wash, but I think it might be end up being a wash as far as like comparing one skill set to the other. It's just going to look different in my opinion. This is going to be a situation, Ryan, where if he has the all-around game jump that Javante had, you have to start seriously saying, this is how Washington guy is doing a pretty good freaking job, right? I mean, that, that you have to do that because Javante Jean-Baptiste did not show on film the player he was at Notre Dame. He wasn't because we were having the same exact conversation about Javante Jean-Baptiste a year ago that you just said about R.J. Oban, and you are 100% correct on R.J. Oban. Just like we were correct about him, but he got developed in a way that his game expanded and he became a much better all-around player. But he didn't show that on film at Ohio State, in my opinion. We kept talking about how he's going to be, he's going to help him to pass rush, but how is he going to hold up as a big end? We a lot of people thought he right. should have been a Viper when, when Notre Dame first got him. Is he gonna play Viper or Big End? So if if you if you have that jump with RJ Oban again, then all of a sudden now Washington starts proven himself as like like I think he did a really good job this year but I'm all, I'm a, I'm a big fan of okay yeah you did it once but can you do it multiple times right that right. that's my thing and and so yeah. you know you're a Rams fan he's an example yeah Mike Mart showed that that one year he could put it all together and have that one year but there's a lot more years where he disappointed and didn't maximize the talent they had with the Rams than years he got the most out of it would you agree with that as a Rams fan so don't bring up Mike Martz, please. Don't so I just had to. I had to. <laughs> he almost ruined Kerr Warner's career, hey, man. He you gave me the triple option earlier. I have to get you with the uh, Mike Martz one. I can't stand um, Mike but, Martz, man. But, yeah. but the point is, just because you did it once doesn't mean you are. That's who you are. I think what Al Washington sure. did, did this year was a good, was really, really good. But in order for him to really go against the Larry Johnsons and the guys like that, he's got to string them together. So if he can have a second really good year at Notre Dame and then say, hey, now you're, that BC thing I did with Harold Landry and and, and Jason – was it not Jason Allen. It was Zach Allen. Now that's coming mm-hmm. into some context with like, look, dude, you want to come play. And and now the next time there's a Braden Fisk out there, he's coming to Notre Dame. 
because right. now the track record that Al Washington has at developing these type of players is much better. So now when some of these big-time players jump in the portal, they may look at Notre Dame a little bit stronger because, hey, this dude this dude can, can, can do something with me. And I think so. That's a big year for him as well. Build on the great job you did last year. I, I think that would mm-hmm. be huge for him. And if he wants to be a D coordinator or a head coach, that that would set him up for great opportunities to get that as well. So um, sure. it's going to be interesting right. what he does. Because right. to Ran, your point, Ryan, a bit. sorry, you, you ahead, finish no, no, your. Go. I was going to make. I was going to make a corny joke. Please, you finish. First okay, and I'll do it. Okay, so the, the the point you were making earlier is if R.J. Oben maxes out his potential, if if Javante Jean Baptiste Javante Jean Baptiste maxed out his potential this year, would you agree with that? And he's likely at best to be a late day three pick five to seven round would you say maybe somebody falls in love with him in round five but most likely six seven undraft would you say that's probably yes. still the range he's at right now if yes. to your point if rj open maxes out his ability you're now talking about a guy that might be a day two guy next year that also adds to al washington's resume because you could Absolutely. end up having three notre dame players drafted next year from the d-line to varying degrees. And maybe if you really do your job, a couple of them go on day two in Riley Mills and RJ Obit. So right. it's going to be interesting to see how that goes, but there there's a lot for Al, go, Al Washington to go out and prove this year where he can mm-hmm. kind of really start putting his name out there. When you start talking about the best D line coaches, now all of a sudden he's put his name out there from a coaching standpoint as that dude. And then that makes yep. recruiting a lot easier, man. It does just look at Chris okay. O'Leary. The light didn't all of a sudden go on for Chris O'Leary. I mean, he, he worked harder and did some things recruiting wise, but part of it was, Look at what I'm doing, dude. I mean, how hard do you need me to recruit you beyond Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, Kyle Hamilton, and Xavier Watts? What what else do I need to say? Do you need me to hold your hand and tell you you're pretty? I mean, what else do you want me to do here, right? Do you want me to coach you up or not? Makes makes recruiting a whole lot easier when that's your resume. And that's sure. and I think Al Washington has a chance with another big year like that to kind of put himself into that conversation as well. So I was so just going to say nine, nine year old Ryan Roberts used to call him Mike Farts and not Mike Martz. That's all Mike Farts. <laughs> <laughs> nine year old Ryan that? Roberts was very bitter about the missed opportunities at the multiple uh, Super Bowls. He ruined me, man. The him, next yes. 12 years after, yes. Mike Martz was awful. It was terrible. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yes. That's very well done. Well, Ryan, that's yep. going to do it for today, man. That was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, to the real show, quick, Mike Farts. Yep. Yes, yes. Just so you guys know, we're gonna we're gonna try to have a six o'clock show. We may have to start a little bit later because I've got to go from here to my house. Uh, so we may get started a little bit later, but we'll at the very latest get started at six thirty. But we will have another show tonight. Uh, be on the lookout for that. It'll be me and Vince. We're gonna break down Sean Terry's com- recruitment and commitment, and then also have a little rapid fire. So it'll be a lot of fun. But yeah, so we will have one. I'm just not sure what time it is going to be. It'll be no later than 6.30. I got to get with Vince on my way back over to the house and because uh, I got I to gotta get going over there. I got to do it from over there. So just to give everybody a heads up. So, Ryan, you want to go ahead and take us out of here, man? Absolutely. Appreciate everybody for stopping in today. Before you leave, if you're listening to us live on YouTube, please hit that like button. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hit the notification bell. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or anything in between, make sure to hit a five-star review over there. Make sure you subscribe as well. You can also go to boards.irishbreakdown.com, all the latest recruiting and team intel. You can also read the free content if you're not a premium subscriber at irishbreakdown.com. That's Brian Driscoll. I'm Ryan Roberts. As always, we appreciate you guys for dropping in on a mailbag. We'll talk to you again very soon here on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.